if you've been on the internet in the past week anywhere in the world you've heard of these two things that india is undergoing an extreme public health crisis brought on by the second wave of covid and exacerbated by an incompetent and apathetic government and you've heard calls for revoking the trips agreement or calls for people's vaccine in this episode i'm going to tell you exactly what these two things are and in doing so i'm going to tell you the most harrowing story of greed and incompetence that you've ever heard but before i do that take a listen to this uplifting message i'm not going to lecture you i'm going to beg you please please get vaccinated for your family your neighbors and every single person you come in contact with Tonight we are calling on leaders from around the world, governments, businesses, and philanthropists to donate dollars and doses to parts of the world where the vaccines have not yet been reached. And I would like to say a big thank you to Mastercard, who are also donating an incredible twenty-five million dollars to this country. They are also matching donations, and get this, will double the match. when it's made with a city master card. We need to get more doses to people around the world who need them. That was Selena Gomez, world renowned for her role as a teenage wizard in the Disney Channel show Wizards of Waverly Place, speaking on hosting the Wax Live concert. What is Wax Live? Uh this is from the Rolling Stone magazine. Wax Live The concert to reunite the world is a virtual concert and broadcast to encourage COVID-19 vaccinations around the world. During the special Global Citizen, which is the organizer of Wax Live, will call on philanthropists and corporations to donate enough dollars for doses to vaccinate more than 27 million international healthcare workers. Selena Gomez will host the event blah blah blah. Billed as the first large-scale music event for a COVID-compliant audience, Wax Live will include musical performances by Jennifer Lopez, Foo Fighters, and the lineup is also going to include people like David Letterman, Chrissy Teigen, appearances from Ben Affleck, Gayle King, Jimmy Kimmel, Olivia Munn, and Sean Penn. Also joining the show are Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, Duchess of Sussex, along with President Joe Biden, First Lady Jill Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris, as well as other world leaders like President Emmanuel Macron of France, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau of Canada, and Prime Minister Plankovic of Croatia. Now, this is a real list of the who's who from the world of entertainment and politics, and they're uniting the world for what is the most pressing issue of the moment: that of dealing with the COVID-19 crisis by vaccinating all of the world's population, or so it would seem. This event. along with several others funded by billionaires like Bill Gates the big pharma lobby and just regular ip warriors are organized as a part of a greater choreographed effort to distract and divert attention from the energy emanating from countries like india to wave off intellectual property rights protections like the trips that are stopping the production of life saving covid-19 vaccines at affordable prices in the developing world Before I get into how that works, stay with me for a minute as I explain exactly what intellectual property means, what the TRIPS agreement that is going to come up a lot in this episode actually does. So here's a quick way to think of intellectual property. Take an exam situation. You get a question paper, you write down your answers. While you're doing that, you notice that your neighbor is copying from you. 
Now you have two options. You can A, ignore the situation. You don't know what your neighbor is going through. Maybe they didn't or couldn't study or they're your friend or whatever. You just let them copy. Or B, you can report them to the invigilator. Now congratulations if you chose B. Not only are you a snitch, but you have just claimed ownership over your intellectual property. Now companies and people do this all the time with books, recipes, technologies, trademarks, etc. The point behind having IP laws is to prevent people and corporations from misusing or misappropriating your intellectual property for their gain at your loss. And pharma companies do this too. Not only do they not want you to make the drugs or therapies they make, they also closely guard the technology they use to make them using an IP protection under something called trade secrets. A good way to also think of this is the KFC fried chicken recipe or the Coca-Cola recipe. This is going to be important too. The TRIPS agreement is basically a World Trade Organization project to enforce IP regulations across international borders because every country has different laws and there are different codes for intellectual property. So this agreement basically goes and makes that enforcement comprehensive. Let's quickly talk about India for a second now. As of the recording of this episode, India has administered 156 million doses of Covishield and Covaxin put together. However, since one requires both shots of the vaccine to be considered fully vaccinated, the actual number of people fully vaccinated in India stands at a meager 28.4 million, which is about 2.1% of the total population of India. Even against the paltry global average of 3.6%, our number looks worryingly small. People are struggling to file ventilators, ICUs, oxygen and medicines. The healthcare system, or whatever existed of it prior to the second wave, has been completely overwhelmed by the enormous demand for resources. For the most part, with very few exceptions for those with immense privilege in terms of social and economic capital, People are on their own. The union government is not even pretending to care anymore. It's clear that India needs to vaccinate and vaccinate fast. There are a number of reasons why we failed to make a dent in this crisis with vaccines so far. Let's look at them. It's clear that the Modi government, which not unlike a number of right-wing governments around the world, does not believe in science. From the very early days of COVID, cures such as drinking cow urine, petting cows, herbal remedies, sniffing camphor, were not only promoted by well-known quacks like Baba Ramdev and his multi-million dollar enterprise Patanjali, but were also endorsed by health officials and ministers like the health minister himself, Dr. Harshwardhan, whose medical degree is reason enough to reconsider India's education policy in general. All this to say, when there existed enough evidence to anticipate a second wave of COVID that happened without fail, in every country in the world affected by COVID, the government grew increasingly complacent. They didn't even consult their own expert committees and panels on COVID-19 to help in drawing up a comprehensive vaccine policy. The government simply did not believe that we would have a second wave. Here is Prime Minister Modi at the Davos conference in January. दुनिया के कई नामी एक्सपर्ट्स और बड़ी-बड़ी संस्थाओं ने क्या-क्या कहा था भविष्यवाणी की गई थी कि पूरी दुनिया में कोरोना से सबसे प्रभावित देश 
भारत होगा कहा गया कि भारत में कोरोना संक्रमण की सुनामी आएगी किसी ने 700 800 मिलियन भारतीयों को कोरोना होने की बात कही तो किसी ने 2 मिलियन से ज्यादा लोगों की मृत्यु का अंदेशा जताया था दुनिया के बड़े बड़े और आधुनिक हेल्थ इंफ्रास्ट्रक्चर वाले देशों का उस समय जो हाल था वो देखकर भारत जैसे विकासशील देश के लिए दुनिया की चिंता भी स्वाभाविक थी Now Modi is talking about how experts were predicting India to have the highest number of covid cases in the world. He also mentions how even industrialized countries with far better health infrastructure than India had monumental troubles in controlling their surge of covid especially in the second wave. Well the evidence is right here and Modi is and by extension the government is admitting that they did not believe in what thousands of experts were rightly saying about India's coming troubles. these experts modi was mocking are more and more appearing to have been right and modi wrong now because of the government's hubris they never planned a robust vaccination drive for india in the first place any successful vaccination campaign runs on ensuring adequate supply first on this front our government failed miserably as countries around the world rushed to draw up deals and contracts with various vaccine producers india not only did not place adequate orders The Indian regulator also appeared extremely partial to the two indigenous producers of the COVID-19 vaccines, asking, for example, that manufacturers like Pfizer conduct bridging studies, a requirement that they've now lifted, while pushing Indian vaccines with generous grants and emergency licenses, even when they didn't have adequate phase three data. It also failed to create adequate stock of vaccines. championing instead the vaccine maitri program under which more than 60 million doses were exported abroad instead of maintaining an inventory of vaccines for domestic use now even when it comes to indian manufacturers the indian government did not fare much better it failed to place any orders that would even scratch the surface when it comes to vaccinating a significant number of people in india not only to protect those vaccinated from life threatening conditions brought on by the infection but also to stop the virus from mutating and becoming deadlier or more infectious as it stands now with regards to the current vaccine acquisition plan there are several levels of unnecessary complexities to understand on 3rd of may the business standard reported that the last order placed with the two vaccine makers 100 million doses with the serum institute of india and 20 million doses with bharat biotech was back in march Then later on the same day the Ministry of Health and Welfare in a statement came out and said this is incorrect and false and actually the government made a 100% advance payment for an additional 110 million doses from Serum Institute of India on April 28 which will be delivered in May June and July and also claimed that full advance payment was made on the same day for an additional 20 million doses of Covaxin from Bharat Biotech Now amid conflicting reports about orders placed by the government to manufacturers for COVID-19 vaccine, Alar Punawala, who's the CEO of the Serum Institute of India, on the 3rd of this month said his company has received orders for 260 million doses. Even if we take the government at its word, which we shouldn't, these doses are far from sufficient. Additionally, there is the problem of the differential pricing. 
instead of the center acting like all previous governments have done, acquiring all the doses of the COVID-19 vaccine directly from the manufacturer and supplying it to states, it has curtailed its own ability to negotiate prices and the ability of the states to negotiate prices as a consequence by using a confusing 50-50 split where 50% of the manufactured doses will be acquired by the central government and the other 50% will be available for states and private interests like private hospitals to compete and acquire. Imagine, in a different world, the government had just instead released the tender for 1.2 billion doses. Imagine, in a different world, the government had instead just procured the vaccine and if it's so short on the cash, which it's not, just look at the budget and the budget reallocation for vaccination programs, the central government could have had the state governments partially pay for the cost of the vaccine after having bought the vaccine themselves. Look, this is simple. If you place a huge order, probably the biggest order ever placed for any vaccine in the history of vaccines, you have a significant say on the price of the vaccine. The only plausible reason for this outrageous misstep, that is, not giving yourself the massive upper hand is a reason solely based on corporate profit and greed. Actually, the government does not want to dictate prices. The government does not want to acquire the vaccine for cheap. The government wants these manufacturers to make not just regular profit, super profits. Why would the government want to do that, you ask? Well, let's take a look at this government. Everything it does, from the farm laws, to quashing dissent in any form, to its attack on campaign donation transparency, through electoral bonds, everything. Including, and importantly, not as an aside, its vicious cultural project to make India a Hindu Rashtra at the expense of persecuting religious minorities. It's clear that this government wants to make India a corporate utopia. And this does not happen without expanding the oppressed underclass for cheap and unprotected labor, very much in line with its project for India's corporate-controlled future. Now, before I tell you the story I promised at the beginning of the episode, I have to make a couple of facts known to you. According to a report published in The Guardian on the 15th of April, at least 97% of the funding for the development of Oxford's AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine has been identified as coming from taxpayers or charitable trusts. AstraZeneca owns the patent to Covishield that's being manufactured by the Serum Institute of India. In the same study cited by The Guardian in their article, the overwhelming majority of the money, especially in the early stages of the research, came from UK government departments, British and American scientific institutes, the European Commission, and charities including the Wellcome Trust. Less than 2% of the identified funding came from private industry. The Moderna vaccine developed in US was almost entirely, and when I say entirely, 100% funded by the US government with taxpayer money. Pfizer's partner BioNTech, which developed the messenger RNA technology, which prompts the body to make a key protein from the virus, creating an immune response, which some would say is the main technology behind the vaccine, received $444 million in funding from the German government. This is about pharma giants abroad. Let's now look at Serum Institute and Bharat Biotech. First, 
the Serum Institute. Serum Institute didn't spend a single rupee to develop the AstraZeneca vaccine. It was developed by the Oxford University. AstraZeneca, which is the owner of the patent, struck up a deal with Serum Institute of India where the vaccine was to be made by Serum Institute and was to be supplied to middle and low-income countries, including India. Both companies committed to provide 400 million doses. On this condition, Poonawala Serum Institute received the license at no additional cost. Poonawala got funding from Gavi, not to mention 3,000 crores given by the Indian government as advance payment. Now Bharat Biotech, and this is even more interesting. Bharat Biotech developed this vaccine in collaboration with ICMR, which is the Indian Council for Medical Research, and the Indian Institute of Virology. It did not develop the vaccine in-house on their own as they're starting to claim now. In fact, National Institute of Biologicals and ICMR supplied, amongst other things, the isolated strain of the virus, precious know-how, helped in conducting phase 3 trials, and both companies, Bharat Biotech and Serum Institute, were given huge relaxations for emergency use by the regulator. All of this would not have been possible if Bharat Biotech and Serum Institute had not received help from ICMR, an organization that is completely publicly owned and funded. With Bharat Biotech, interestingly, the patent itself for the Covaxin is most probably jointly owned by Bharat Biotech and ICMR. It's impossible at the moment for me to confirm this, but all logic dictates that it must be. So when Aadhar Poonawala of Serum Institute and Krishna Ella of Bharat Biotech priced their vaccine to states at 300 rupees per dose and 400 rupees per dose, it's not to recoup the price of R&D that they did to produce the vaccine, but to make profits, and not just any profits, super profits. Both CEOs have repeatedly said that they would make profit even at the cost at which they're supplying the vaccine to the center. They've admitted time and again that they want to make super profits. Their reason? They need these super profits to increase their capacity to produce more vaccines. Fuck this reason. Why? These companies have received millions of dollars in public funding to do exactly this. And if they haven't done this so far, when will they? Till what point can they keep claiming that they're extending their manufacturing capacity without actually providing a cheap and easily available vaccine? This price, don't be fooled, is only to make super profits to line their pockets. If the price initially of 400 rupees and 600 rupees respectively which was also claimed as necessary to enhance capacity, could be slashed by 200 rupees just like that after public outcry, it tells you that they're still charging way over not only what they would need to cover their cost, but way above a comfortable profit that could theoretically be used in expanding set capacities. This slashing of prices not because of any philanthropic ambitions that suddenly lit up in Poonawala and Krishnaella's conscience, like Poonawala has gone on to claim, but a realization that their bounty of cash is by, threatened by the public's recognition of their greed. This greed is not only actively supported by the state, but in some ways almost urged by the government of India. We cannot accept this. This blatant disregard for the lives of those that cannot pay the exorbitant prices, 
that private hospitals are already demanding and for those that live in states that cannot or have not procured enough doses might be fine for modi who will soon move into his multi-million dollar mansion in the middle of a burning city a move that would put emperor nero to shame but not for us the vaccine must be free it must come here fast and most of all it must reach every single one of us to do this there is only one way forward and that is to remove the ip protections and manufacture the vaccines at scale before moving any further i want to clarify what exactly i mean when i say loosen up ip restrictions to get a meaningful change in policy we would need two things to happen that the government of india under its right to issue a compulsory license lifts the patent restriction that would allow other manufacturers to make the vaccine this deals with the end product the end product being the vaccine and this way to relax the patent holding is just one of the ways in which the government can do this there also exist other ways while we are on the government it actually has the constitutional duty to do everything it can to control this unprecedented health crisis from article 21 of the indian constitution that guarantees the right to life additionally also from the government's responsibility that emanates from the concurrent list subject where it's the job of the union government to stop the spread of infectious diseases across state borders secondly and this one is often neglected there also has to be a strict policy that lifts protections under trade secrets that these pharma companies currently own now why is this important because unlike simple drugs like say aspirin that work because of their chemical properties the regulatory threshold for safety and efficacy for the vaccines is much higher therefore even if an indian manufacturer was to reverse engineer the vaccine which is next to impossible but let's say it did and the manufacturer did not use the same exact methodology and technology as the original manufacturer manufacturer it would be faced with the burden of conducting a new set of clinical trials to prove that it works and it's safe and that means more time and money uh, additionally manufacturing these vaccines at scale would also require a huge amount of collaboration and sharing of expertise companies simply saying that they won't enforce their patent rights like pfizer has done in the past is not enough and they know it which is why they say it even if tomorrow there was a compulsory license granted by the government to other manufacturers in absence of the government doing anything else without the active sharing of these so called trade secrets the vaccine could not be produced at scale at least not without significant regulatory hurdles and a significant investment of time and money the government can however coerce these companies to do this remember bharat biotech vaccine was developed in part by icmr the icmr should have as much right over the intellectual property including the trade secrets aspect as the company bharat biotech finally the story of greed i promised when the pandemic was not even known simply as the pandemic i'm talking about the very early stages of the virus spreading there was an emerging consensus among top scientists at the world health organization about this threat they knew the world was likely facing that it would require collaboration at a scale never attempted before between scientists public health experts governments and even multinational corporations to an extent 
to defeat the virus. The sheer scale of the problem inspired hope that the status quo of the then intellectual property regime would be discarded in favor of a truly global network run on cooperation. In May of 2020, this idea became concrete as the World Health Organization launched its COVID-19 Technology Access Pool, or CTAP platform. But then, enter multi-billionaire, tech entrepreneur, philanthropist, and above all, a grade A dipshit Bill Gates. Now, Bill Gates is a liberal media favorite and has been for, well, forever. He's hailed as nothing less than a messiah when it comes to charity contributions, to programs dealing with the AIDS crisis, generous donations to educational programs, malaria research, the list goes on for a while. But despite these extremely generous charitable works, somehow Mr. Gates keeps getting richer. Actually, I would argue it is because of this charitable work that he keeps getting richer, at least in part. You see, primarily, his money comes from his corporations hold over a significant sum of patents, copyrights, trade secrets, etc. Basically, intellectual property related to information technology. As this technology gets more and more entrenched as part of our daily lives, social consequences, like the digital divide that we're already seeing, between those capable of owning hardware and software, along with having the prerequisite knowledge to operate these technologies, and those that are less privileged. It becomes increasingly obvious. The internet as a human right is no longer a fad discussion among Ivy League liberals. Nothing has brought out this stark contrast, this digital divide, almost an apartheid, a digital apartheid, than the pandemic itself. It is logical then to assume that at some point, if that point hadn't already arrived a decade ago, it would become an absolutely morally indefensible position to deprive people of technology that is essential, just on the basis of one corporation's ownership over technologies that just like the vaccines I discussed earlier, all originate in some form from publicly funded original research. Bill Gates realized this a while ago. I'm talking decades, and decided that he will take up the mantle of being the world's biggest intellectual property status quoist. Not only for software technology, however. Literally every corporation's right to defend, amongst any moral crisis, its right to own and protect intellectual property. Not necessarily intellectual property they develop or invent, but intellectual property they own. As we know, these can be, and more often than not are, somehow backed by the public. Jumping back to April of 2020, Bill Gates starts his own crusade to control the international COVID-19 response in the form of Access to COVID-19 Tools Accelerator or ACT Accelerator. This is coming after the World Health Organization has already started their CTAP program. As opposed to the CTAP, this is based on charity, not cooperation or free exchange of expertise like imagined before. Let's make a quick analogy about charity to make things clear. Suppose a friend needs some money to pay rent. Under a policy known to you, but not your friend, your friend is eligible to get that money from the government based off of a scheme. Instead of telling your friend about this scheme that would quickly solve their problem, you decide you're going to get that money from the government and unbeknownst to your friend, you give this money to them as your own money telling them you're doing this because 
well, that's just who you are. Now your friend owes you. Even though you don't expect that money back, this definitely creates a kind of power imbalance. Your friend feels like they must repay you by being extra nice to you, not call you out when you're being annoying. And not only that, you now start demanding that they show you their monthly budget so you can manage it instead of them. This is why Bill Gates makes money from charity. The charity buys him something that outright taxation on his vulgar amount of wealth never would have. Control. Remember AstraZeneca and the Oxford vaccine? And how they gave a free license, almost free license, to our Indian manufacturer Serum Institute? Here's something to ponder about. In April, Oxford University promised to donate the rights to its coronavirus vaccine to any drug maker. The idea was to provide medicines preventing or treating COVID-19 at a low cost or absolutely free of charge. A few weeks later, however, Oxford, urged by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, decided that this was not going to be the case. It signed an exclusive vaccine deal with AstraZeneca that gave the pharma giant sole rights without any guarantees of low prices. Obviously with the intention being that Oxford would eventually make a ton of money, along with priceless prestige that any university would want to pounce on. Bill Gates' role in all of this is so enormous that it would require perhaps a whole podcast series. In the show notes, you will find a brilliant article by Alexander Zetchik, published in the New Republic, that deals with Bill Gates' role in the current global vaccine inequity, along with his checkered past with IP protectionism in times of extreme moral crisis. Now a section where I list some unrelated facts. On 25th of September 2019, the Global Goalkeeper Award, which is an award given out by Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, was handed to Narendra Modi by Bill Gates at at a ceremony at the United Nations. To defend his decision following criticism for his support of a controversial figure like Modi, Bill Gates says, It is very brave of the Prime Minister to talk about the sanitation problem. Talk about it. And he set ambitious goals for improving those. We thought that that was praiseworthy because we are very involved in sanitation. Bill Gates has to be involved in sanitation. His affinity to shit is well documented. Bill Gates, along with Big Pharma, the US government, the European Union, the European Commission, and from all evidence I've put here, increasingly the Indian government, are interested in upholding the status quo. They want us to rely on crumbs while the rich live in their vaccinated bio-bubbles. The Vax Live concert at the top of the show is being organized by Global Citizen, an organization funded by the likes of Coca-Cola, Forbes, WWE, Procter & Gamble, The City Group, Cisco, Verizon, Delta Airways, amongst others. Notice something. None of these corporations mean to push the envelope when it comes to suspending the global IP regime to tackle the COVID crisis. They've been champions for decades of the immoral IP regime that is currently in place. The justification for not suspending IP protection for life-saving drugs always has been twofold. First, to say that originator companies need to make profits to recoup their investments in research and development. Second, to argue that without an incentive to innovate, it would be impossible to stimulate interest in new innovation. These are both bogus reasons. 
Firstly, it's evident that the pharma companies involved are no longer basing their price in any relation with their manufacturing costs. Additionally, if recouping money spent on R&D was truly the reason for the outrageous vaccine costs, then how do companies account for the billions of dollars of funding that have been invested by public institution into their final pricing? Hint, hint, they don't. Take an organization like Serum Institute and their insistence on making super profits. The same institute provided at scale its meningitis vaccine shot for around 40 cents. In fact, they could do the same thing with Covishield and depend on scale alone to make abundant profits. On innovation, now this is truly infuriating. I'll take you back to an interview that the developer of the inventor of the polio vaccine, Jonas Salk, uh, gave to an American journalist, Edward Murrow. Edward Murrow asked him about the ownership of the polio vaccine patent. He said, there is no patent. Could you patent the sun? Countries like Cuba, with a fully socialized healthcare system, which has been known for its excellent track record at managing its public health, are already in an advanced stage of development for their indigenous vaccine. This in the backdrop of one of the world's strictest regime of embargoes and illegal sanctions espoused by the United States. Then take the vaccines developed in fully nationalized fashion. Sputnik V developed in Russia and all the Chinese vaccines that the Chinese state has developed against COVID-19. If it were true that indeed the only reason people wanted to innovate is greed, none of this would have been possible. The truth is, it is funding provided by governments, meaning by people, that leads to innovation, not only in medicine, but truly for most things. Look up the publicly funded technological innovations that fuel everything, from electric cars to the internet to the smartphone you're currently listening to this on. You will never think of innovation the same way. When our corporate overlords wax eloquent about vaccine equity, they mean vaccine charity. And no charity is free. It comes with a caveat, a misdirection, a crumb to distract us from the pie. We will have our pie. We cannot settle for anything less than a complete overhaul of this immoral IP regime. Trips can no longer hold. No amount of corporate whitewashing, celebrity endorsement and double speak from governments should make us complacent. The only way to get rid of COVID and ensure a restoration, quick restoration of life around the world is through a global movement to demand what we already rightfully own. It is our money and the application of centuries of publicly available scientific knowledge that has enabled the development of these vaccines. Notwithstanding the immense deprivation of the global south over several generations that has enabled the rich nations to make the foundations on which they base their so-called scientific advancements, we cannot and should not stop demanding for more than they're willing to offer us. And when the time comes, we may, must be ready to take it by force. Eat the fucking rich.